Good morning, everyone. It's a Good Shepherd Sunday today, and so our text for today is Psalm 23. But we're just going to focus our attention on one verse, verse 5, this morning. You prepare, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's one of my favorite verses in scripture. It gives us this strange image of sitting down at a feast, being served by a generous host, while still being surrounded by our enemies. For the first few verses, the guiding metaphor was of God as shepherd. But here it shifts to God as host. Maybe for a Good Shepherd Sunday, I should have stopped a verse earlier. Stuck with the shepherd, but what are you going to do? It's too late now. But those two images are tied together because host and shepherd are both ways of understanding the roles of a king. So here we find ourselves seated at the luxurious royal table, the table of a king. But regardless of how honorable the host, in the presence of my enemies is not where I would choose to have my dinner. It's a strange image, but also a powerful picture of what is possible in our life with God. The psalm acknowledges that evil is real and our enemies are real, and that sometimes they surround us on all sides. But it seems to also say that that doesn't matter so much. It seems to say that God's presence and care and all of the benefits that come with that, provision, peace, joy, and rest, do not depend on the presence or absence of a threat. It doesn't matter. If we are surrounded by enemies, we can still feast at the table of our God. We all know well that God does not whisk us away from all of our troubles. But here we find that God comes to us in them and makes them sort of irrelevant. I want to spend a minute imagining this scene. When I imagine it for myself, I see a dark, open landscape, maybe a desert, filled with a horde of enemies. I think you could think of an enemy as anything that threatens to consume or harm or destroy you. So if you're, and if you're a Christian, you believe that God longs for the flourishing of the creation. And your flourishing is a part of that creation. So you could include anything that opposes God's will in this world. When I imagine who's in that crowd of enemies, I don't tend to see particular people there. Um, there's not really anyone that I would call my enemy. Uh, but it might be that some of you would put, your, would put some people there, and I think that's okay. I'm guessing David was talking about actual people. Just make sure to remember that when it comes to people, Jesus calls us to love our enemies and that we are all of us a mix of good and evil and we are all deeply loved by the Father. But so put people there if you need to, those who are threatening to you in some way or maybe to those you love. And there are a lot of other kinds of enemies that we face too. You might include in the throng something to represent threatening circumstances. Maybe right now you see a blown up that an image of that blown up picture of coronavirus um, that we so often see in the news today. Maybe that's there among the enemies. Maybe there's another sickly looking monster there who represents cancer or heart disease. Maybe it's that's your own sickness or the sickness of someone you love. Either way, you can look into its eyes 
and see how it wants to devour you and the people you love. Maybe one of the enemies that you imagine is the faceless figure of death with his black cloak and scythe, just waiting, maybe slowly drawing nearer. Some of the threats you can't see at all, but in an open space, you might be able to feel that empty presence of loneliness. Usually for me, the scariest foes in the mix are those that exist within me. You know, if we say that our enemies are anything that opposes God's will for us, then we know that some of those enemies exist in us. For me, there's a shivering, frail creature holding a list of concerns and possible disasters who represents my fears. For every circumstance, that creature has a thousand what-ifs to fill my mind, each one leading me farther from peace and farther from love and farther from God. Maybe for some of you, those creatures represent your addictions, your self-hatred, whatever might plague you. And sometimes our enemies take on more attractive guises. Maybe your lusts, which lure you away from healthy relationships and lasting loves. Those enemies take the form of beautiful people calling to you, smiling at you, and they promise satisfaction, but they leave you empty every time, more hungry than before. Or maybe for some, that enemy is the figure of a good friend saying like, oh, tell me about it. That witch sounds like a terrible person. You didn't deserve that. And that one seems harmless but entices you to gossip, which also, like lust, leads to destruction, to the destruction of intimate relationships, the breaking down of community. And as it fuels your anger, it keeps you from seeking true understanding and reconciliation. There are any number of forms that these demons can take. Who is in the crowd for you? Which ones are the scariest? Which ones are the nearest to you? But then there in the middle of of the crowd is a spot of light, maybe 30 feet wide. And at its center is a table. And on it, a luxurious meal. Beautiful china and all those confusing little forks and goblets overflowing with wine. Platters and trays and bowls filled with steaming and inviting dishes. Meats and grains and fruits and vegetables. All of it beautifully prepared. Rich colors. Enticing smells. It's a glorious table. And you are sitting at it. And God is serving you. 10 or 15 feet on every side are your enemies, drooling and seething and calling to you, promising life, but longing for your destruction. But you sit at the table, and they cannot come near it, because by some invisible power, they cannot approach your host, who is the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You are safe in God's presence, 
And God is taking this moment not to fashion an escape plan, not to give you tips or tools, not to give you weapons to fight off your enemies. Your God is taking this moment to invite you to sit and rest and feast, to invite you to delight in the finest fare. God is treating you as someone who deserves the highest of honors, anointing you with oil, making sure that your cup is always full to overflowing. The arrangement of the Hebrew in this verse gives the feeling of intimacy between guest and host. That's the sense of this feast. It is an intimate place between you and the God of the universe. Your God delights in you. You are the honored guest and all of God's attention is on you. Maybe you can imagine enemies that are much worse than the ones that I suggested. Go ahead. Make them as fearsome and as threatening, as violent and insidious as you want. Place them in the crowd gathered around your table. Multiply them. And it doesn't change the image that much. Still, you sit at the table. Still, they cannot approach the host who serves you, who anoints you, who fills your cup whose great joy is in blessing and communing with you. No matter how nasty the beasts, you are safe, you are loved, and you are provided for. Like the psalm says in its first verse, here you lack nothing. Your enemies, despite all their rage and their longing for blood, they are the least important thing in this picture. They are only the backdrop to a fine feast shared between you and your creator. A feast where you don't even take the role of servant to your king, but the role of guest. You are served and delighted in by the creator of all. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The feast is one of the main images that we get of God's kingdom come in full. It's one of the metaphors used throughout scripture to describe the time when all of our tears will be wiped away and death will be no more. When there will be no more wars or pain, no more oppression. In Isaiah chapter 25, it says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. A feast of rich foods for all people a banquet of aged wine, when death and tears and disgrace will be no more. Our verse in Psalm 23 calls that imagery to mind. But the phrase, in the presence of my enemies, drags us back from that blissful future to the rather difficult present, where we still have death and tears and disgrace, where our enemies are real and evil is real, 
But when the feast and our enemies meet in that verse, we are confronted with an astonishing promise. We can experience the kingdom of God now. And not just when things are going smoothly, but even in the presence of our enemies. Even, as Psalm 46 says, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, still our God is faithful and present, our refuge and our strength. We can know the feast now. And we're all facing a lot right now. And COVID-19 has hit us all in different ways. And even while so many things have stopped in this time, it has not managed to interrupt the regular flow of grief that, has, that came before COVID-19 hit and still comes now. It just added a new one to the pile. No matter what you're facing right now, you can still live in the reality of the kingdom of God. The joy found there can be more of a present reality for you than the threats of your enemies. I almost feel like I'm promising too much in this, but I believe it is the promise of, pa- of this passage and others like it. It's not the promise of no trials or struggles. It is not the promise that we do not suffer, but it is the promise of God's presence in the midst of those things in a way that allows you to enjoy the feast no matter what else is going on. We do not learn what it means to sit at that table as soon as we become Christians. That's the fruit of the life of faith, lived in trusting submission to God. It is who we can become if we are willing to do the difficult work of following Jesus, of learning to trust him, of submitting to him every day. It's difficult, though, and I think you can be a Christian without ever attaining to that place, at least not before the kingdom come, or only attaining to it in fits and starts. Dallas Willard said that this psalm is a call to live into the kingdom now, but few do it, and so we have the words of Psalm 23 written on more tombstones than lives. But we don't have to wait until we meet God after this life for it to be true. Psalm 23 can be written on our lives. I can see so clearly how much I resist the good things that God offers me. You know, I might long to be free from my anxiety, but in some ways I love my anxiety because I feel like it protects me. You know, I think that God has offered me freedom, but I have held on to my chains because I've only ever known these chains. And the responsibility and the vulnerability that would come with being free feels too scary for me. And so I hang on to the fear as if it were helping me. I shy away from the freedom because it feels dangerous. In his book, The Road Less Traveled, M. Scott Peck, um, who's a Christian psychologist, says that a huge part of therapy is just convincing people not to be afraid of health, trying to get them to stop resisting it. When we resist grace. I mean, go back to that image of the table in the crowd of enemies. It would take a profound amount of courage to trust. Sorry. It would take a profound amount of courage and trust to sit ourselves down at that table. If we can hear the heavy breathing of our deepest fears just a few feet away, it would take a lot to stop ourselves from running or fighting and just sit 
without weapon or armor, to rest and enjoy the feast. We have to lay down our defenses and trust that another will protect us. It's a very difficult thing to do, especially when all we have ever known is our defenses, and, and when we have never known anyone so trustworthy as our God, not our friends, not our parents, not even ourselves. Then once we are sitting, our task is to be at peace enough to focus on the host rather than the crowd. And I can see myself sitting at the table being so distracted by the legions of enemies all around me that I don't even notice as the oil is poured over my head or the care of the host who fills my cup. And though I might force a couple of bites of food, they all taste like sawdust because I am so racked with nerves. Once we have gathered the courage to sit, the task becomes to focus on our host rather than the crowd to look at our God, even through the jeering of our enemies on the sidelines. The trust, to trust our host enough to enjoy the care, the protection, and all the good gifts. To trust enough that we can experience the intimacy of the feast. But every moment that you are able to do it, Every time you're in a difficult place and you can come to focus your eyes on God and God's goodness rather than whatever difficulty you're facing, every time you can do that even just for a second, it becomes easier the next time because you learn to trust and your God is trustworthy. You will not be let down. I remember sitting in a lecture by a woman named Marva Dawn. Um, she's a theologian. And she's brilliant, and she's also had a very difficult life, plagued with disability and disease, blindness, chronic pain, kidney problems. I don't know the whole list, but there are many. Um, she also happens to be one of the most joyful people I have encountered. And that's because she knows something of what it is to sit at this table in the presence of her enemies. She has faced many of her enemies in hospital rooms and has met God there. In that lecture, she said uh, enthusiastically, don't you just love it when you are thrown into a situation and you feel totally overwhelmed and you're not sure if you can do it because it forces you to depend so fully on God? Like, No, Marva, I don't love that. I hate it. <laughs> you know, those situations overwhelm me, incapacitate me. But I believe that she loves it. She knows what it is to sit at the table in the presence of her enemies. She has sat there and learned that her God is trustworthy and that the size and shape and violence of her enemies have almost nothing to do with her and her life with God. They can be small and flimsy, wimpy little things, or they can be huge, terrifying beasts, but it doesn't matter so much. They're almost inconsequential. A backdrop to the feast that she shares with the lover of her soul. She can know God's goodness in times of peace and in times of trial. And maybe the trials, when the beasts are looming large, are better because they force her to make sure that she is focused on the host in a way that she might forget otherwise. And regardless of what monsters are in our midst, still we sit at the table. Still the feast is available 
and our host is near. This place at the table makes the rest of the Christian life of love, of service, of forgiveness and generosity, it makes it all possible. And can you imagine how much bigger your capacity for love would be if you were no longer terrified and intoxicated by your enemies? From our place at the table, receiving from God, we find ourselves also free to give ourselves away. And this verse is a powerful picture of what is possible in our lives with God now. And there will be a time when there are no more enemies to contend with. But we do not have to wait to know that glory now. God invites us to the table now. God invites you to the table, no matter what else is going on in your life, no matter what enemies you are facing. The same God, who is our shepherd, who guides and protects us, is also our host, who has lavished goodness upon us. We can sit ourselves at the Lord's table, fix our eyes upon our host, and taste and see that our God is good. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for the feast. I think many of us have had moments of sitting at that table and looking into your face and knowing the goodness there. Some of us even live there most of the time. We are all still learning what it means to delight in you and to receive your goodness, even in the midst of hardship. So we pray that you would uh, use this difficult time to teach us. That we would come before you in prayer, in obedience, in whatever ways that looks like, and that we would sit ourselves down and train ourselves on you, that we would learn to trust and find joy and peace there. You are good, Lord God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>